When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kevin Kincaid. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> anyway. Ah, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike Missinelli, for the introduction there. Thank you to Rob Halford and Judas Priest uh, for their contribution to the introduction. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. I'm your host, Kevin Kincaid. It's great to be talking Philadelphia Union soccer with you again after I took a uh, detour into talking about how terrible the Philadelphia Flyers are. We did some Sixers on Crossing Broad this week. So it's nice to talk about a good team again, a first-place team, your Philadelphia Union. We have a special guest joining us uh, to talk about that. Returning to the program, uh, I believe for a third time, it's uh, Sons of Ben, former Sons of Ben president, uh, Mac Andasik is with us, fresh off a plane. How are you, man? I'm good. A little tired, but yeah, yeah. I got to figure out the new title. Is it former, you know, exiled? Who knows? We'll figure yeah, that out at some ex, point. Ex-president, uh, president emeritus. Yeah, uh, I, I, don't th- I, I don't know if Brian James will share that with me. <laughs> We'll is that what we're calling him the uh the fa- well he's a founder he's like he's more like brian at this point is more like the uh he's like the spiritual figurehead of the organization right you know oh yeah yeah you him know. and brad and all those guys but uh yeah so you know when other presidents came in they were the president he was more like the the uh you know like a if if you were ahmadinejad he was like coming come Khomeini or whatever, right? It's not the greatest example in the world, but it's the first thing that came. I, to mind. I was thinking like Dick Cheney, but you know, we can <laughs> whichever way you want to, whatever <laughs> reference you want to make, it's your pod. Wait, real quick. All right, so we'll get we'll get into all the Sons of Ben stuff and the the Roe versus Wade statement conflict that led up to you uh, taking off. We get into that later, but real quick, are you are you guys going to keep doing uh, SOB pod? I believe Devin and Adam are planning on it. I know okay. since I'm not. Part of, you know, leadership. Okay. I don't think I should, you know, be part of that. So okay. Devin's on the board, so he can he can keep right. running that. And Okay, so we'll get some clarification on whether that will uh, continue. So Because you guys had, you had come on the show with me solo once, and I think we did that crossover podcast where, like, we did a half hour where you guys were on with me, and then I was on with you. Um, and then and I got to guest all. host uh, at the parking lot. Yeah, and then you came and yelled it in the microphone for about five minutes, yelled it uh, to George or something in the parking lot at the live show a couple of weeks That's ago. That's more Tansy. Tansy yeah, is negative more, stuff. Yeah, Tansy <laughs> neg- going negative. Yeah. Um, but listen, uh, let's, let's hit some union topics first. It's been a while since I was able to get a show done. I've just been slammed with Crossing Broad stuff, and we have a hire to make for the New York site that I'm running at the same time. So I was actually down at, you know, for the seven-goal game. I actually got out because I was jonesing for a pickup game. So I went down to SoFi to play pickup that night last Friday. And then I'm like, just looking at the, I went to the bathroom and they got like the TV screens upstairs. So I just pop in to check the score. It's like four nothing already. I'm like, Holy shit. Of course I picked the one game not to watch is when the offense finally explodes, you know, but um, let's go backwards. Let's work backwards. Uh, Miami two to one win 
on Wednesday night. Uh, look, they get a set-piece game winner. They get a penalty kick. Uh, they play good defense outside from a Gonzalo Higuain, um, you know, fantastic goal. I mean, they're well on their way to a second straight shutout. And to me, man, it was just like a, uh, you know, a professional win, right? You know, you're coming off a thing where it's like you have a 7 nothing, you drub some team, you go on the road. Maybe there's going to be a letdown on short notice, but uh, I was really impressed by that performance. Miami isn't, isn't amazing, but I thought that was probably one of their better performances of the uh, year just because of the, the circumstances surrounding it and not to, not to have a letdown after the big 7 nothing goal explosion. And I just thought they played a really good game on Wednesday night. And considering how they played in Chicago, when everyone knew that was a trap game, yes. you're like, oh, no, they maybe this team is susceptible to something like that. And they didn't. They grinded it out, and it was hot, humid, and sticky down there. You know, Miami's not a great place to play unless it's February, March. Yeah. So, no, I was impressed with the uh, the 2-1 two, two win. I mean, I wish it was a, a shutout, like you said, but what are you going to do? I mean, yeah, for for that for them to you know, and that was a goal that was preventable too. I think to give up, you know, there was uh, you know Jose Martinez found himself on the ball. I think he played it kind of up the up the flank wide to Julian Carranza, who gave it right back to him, and it wasn't it wasn't a great pass back. So Brujo was kind of in a tough position there, but yeah, again, it looked like a Philadelphia Union goal, like a counter press. Iguain with a nice shuffle to his left, and then a left footed blast into the back of the net. It happens, you know. I mean, they're going to have to try to cut down on that stuff. But look, I mean, the first. Uh, yeah, I give Corey Burke a lot of credit because he started off slow in that game. He looked like he was off the pace a little bit. Um, but, you know, for him to get up there and beat his countryman, uh, Damian Lowe, Jamaican on Jamaican crime for the set-piece goal. I mean, like, you know, that's that's that win stuff. That's like old-school USA international win kind of thing. Like, because Miami was all over him at the time. And it was one nothing. I was like, oh, you know, possessions, their boss in possession. You know, maybe there's an equalizer, there's something coming here. That Corey goal – couldn't couldn't have come at a more perfect time, you know, to kind of stop the bleeding there, you know. Yeah, and considering the, you know, with Carranza being bought out, we'll get into that. You're thinking, oh, maybe Jim's going to make a last minute switch. So does mm. Corey think he's playing or not? But he came in great goal, and the and the Higuain. There's only probably five people in the league that are going to make that goal against Andre Blake, even yeah. though that was, you know, the Union's fault in the beginning. He earned that. I mean, yeah, the little was- hip shuffle to get Glessness to kind of go down, and, and Jacob did a really good job actually of stick, staying on his feet for that because that could have been a oh, that could have been like a, a, like a, a not so ten Sports Center move. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for him to like be put on ice skates, but kind of hold his feet and actually defend that pretty well because that's hard in space, you know, because he's got to step up and kind of address the the play after the turnover. But I think for Corey, that's a big moment because you know Carranza, I guess, went ninety, um, you know, in the seven nothing game when he got his hat trick. So with Sergio Santos then out on transfer, you know, for Jim to go with Corey and start and then for him to get a game-winning goal in that game I thought was huge because, you know, obviously he's going to be third choice, you know, moving forward now with Sergio Santos not being there. There's always people calling for, like, you know, let's see Quinn Sullivan as a second striker or a, or a, a Paxton Aronson or something, not, not as a second striker, but as the second choice striker. Um, so I thought that was important for him to to go to go up and get that goal and do that and um, – you know, as long as you're playing two strikers, man, you're four four two, you're always gonna you're always gonna be subbing one of them out, you know. So it's not like four two three one where it's like, hey, you know, you might be able to get a striker to go ninety or seventy and then bring another guy on. They're gonna need Corey. So um Yeah, definitely. And and like it's like you said, I, I feel really I was really happy for him. Great goal. Uh Jamaican on Jamaican national team crime, but yeah, 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 well, um, yeah. Damian Love, former Reading, former Reading United guy, you know. That's right. Yeah, he's had an interesting career path too. I mean, he was playing it like overseas. He was playing, I think he was playing in Scandinavia. I think he was playing in the Middle East. Uh, he's had quite the quite the tour de force since uh, 
his Berks County days, you know. But uh, well, he's retiring in Miami like everybody else, like probably Messi will in the future. It's not, you know? it's not you're right. It's not a bad destination to end up, you know. Um, so the, the the other thing with the penalty was just kind of whatever. Okay, uh, the center back Mabika just kind of sticks a foot out and commits a bad foul there. And then he actually gets yanked at halftime. But you know, the product of that, Matt, honestly, is like, and, and Jim was actually talking about this today, Friday on the, uh, his, his press conference leading up to the new England game. We're recording on Friday. Um, he said, you know, one of, one of the things that we've done is we have actually dropped Alejandro Bedoya back a little bit deeper by, by design because we want to get him more on the ball, kind of help us in our possession and our passing a little bit. And, you know, he pointed to the fact that, Look, we know that they don't need to possess the ball. They don't want to possess the ball. But when they do get it, they need they do need to, to have a higher passing percentage when they do have it, you know. So dropping Ali back, allowing Olivier and Baizo, Nathan Harrow to go a little bit forward and kind of stressing teams that way and let Ali do what he's doing with his feet really helps. And, you know, that's just allowed them to kind of like get back to this really good off-ball movement, you know, kind of gashing teams in the flanks, getting guys in the channels in between the left center back and the right center back. You know, they don't really do it on the left side because Leon Flock isn't that player. But Alejandro Bedoya has really been the catalyst to them uh, exploding for nine goals in the in the last two games. And, you know, even, even though the penalty is the penalty, like when I watched that back, I was like, hey, there was a ball that was played over the top. It was a perfectly timed run from Ali. And, like, I just think so much of what they do, even going back to, like, the harris in years and Keegan Rosenberry and Ilsenio has just been predicated on, hey, Alejandro Bedoya is doing a lot of good stuff up on the right flank, you know, gashing teams, knifing in there, finding space. And I think a lot of that runs through him. It definitely does. I don't think Ali gets enough credit because, and this goes back to when he was on the national team, he's not the flashiest of players, but he's just always solid. And that's yeah. kind of what you want. And that's how this team is built. This team isn't built on superstar crazy talent. It's built yeah. as a team. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's why they don't need possession. Uh, they just always have to grind. So I think that's important. And, and Ali just leads that. You know, it's a, it's a team first mentality with these guys. Yeah, it's funny because Jim was saying, uh, I mean, when you get older, the, the game slows down for you. You know, you just see things that other people don't see because you're just playing at a different pace, you know. And also I think Ali's time as a winger when he was playing in France and when he was playing in Sweden and uh, I think at Rangers too, I want to say he was at, uh, I think there's a third stop in there, but allows him to that understanding of flank space and channel space and when to go and when not to go. And that can't be understated, you know. It's, it's, no, it's no coincidence to me that no matter what shape they play and they always seem to be like working triangles and like moving with efficiency on whatever side he's on. And when you juxtapose that with Leon, who's not a possession player at all, who's very poor actually with the ball at his feet, yeah. uh, it looks even that much more important. It's funny, man, exactly. I went, I went through that uh, – it went without fail, man. You watch every single game. You could clip like three brilliant Leon Flock like tracking back defensive tackles that like break up like a really good chance for the other team. And then I can always clip like him on the ball, not knowing what to do with it. Like with, yeah, without, it, without, it, without fail, you know. It, his his defense is definitely twenty twenty two Union. His offense reminds me of 2013-2014 Union, <laughs> where they kind of just used to do the dump and chase. Find Connor Casey's big bald head and just try to throw, exactly. throw it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Keon, Keon Daniels, like your offensive like uh, pivot or something. But it's, it's <laughs> funny, you know. I mean, Jim and Jim said as much. You know that that's that was the one tactical change that that they made was just pulling Bedoya a little bit deeper, and uh, you know letting him get more uh, on the ball, which which is has been the you know which is what has jump started them. That actually. Um, 
segues me into the going back to the DC game. I actually don't have a ton to, to say about it, but what I did is I went through and I watched every single goal again, and I wrote down a comment for every single goal from the 7 nothing win against DC, right? Goal number one, Alejandro Bedoya on the right flank. Brilliant run, hanging on the offside line. Great touch, right? Just what we were talking about right then. Goal number two, the Carranza bike. Um, I have to be honest. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to poo-poo <laughs> the bike a little bit. Not because it wasn't a great goal and not because the technique wasn't perfect. I mean, he hit it exactly how you're supposed to hit that. Down into the corner, timed it perfectly, whatever. But he didn't have a single guy around him. Uh, he was standing on the six-yard line, completely, though, unperturbed, right? And I think the thing that actually made that, if you go back and you watch that goal, DC is playing like, you know, mixed zonal man marking, right? So what happens is a lot of times when those guys, those three guys who are like zonal, Across the six yard box, they go out and they try to play the first corner coming in. If the ball comes down, now they got to scramble and they got to find a guy or they're out of position. Because if you were man marking a guy, you were following him and you're probably still with him. You know, but that's the danger of zonal markings when the ball comes back down. Oh shit, now I don't have a guy. I got to find a guy. And then Carranza's just standing there, you know? Yeah. And I know you're going to be that guy. And I'll be, I'll oversimplify this. That bicycle kick, I think, took the heart from DC. It was basically the equivalent of an NBA player getting a fast break. Instead of just doing a layup, he does a 360 dunk. Yeah, like and then DC was like, ah, shh, you know, like we're in it. for a yeah. long night. So that's that's how I felt about it. I, I see how it yeah, probably was unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of things in sports are unnecessary. But, Dan, they're like, they're fun to watch. There's actually a really good point, actually, within that. Is And I, I think I asked Brett Brown this a couple years ago when I was on the Sixers beat. But – I think there was a play where Joel Embiid had like a fast break and he went up for a dunk and he missed the dunk and he just back back ironed it, right? And the ball bounced like 5,000 feet up in the air. And I asked Brett, I'm like, no, seriously, like, I mean, he could lay the ball up and whatever, no problem. But if he throws that down like a hammer, the crowd is brought back into the game. Maybe the other team's momentum is blunted. Maybe they got to talk, call a timeout or something. And he agreed with that thought. And he said, you know, I call those spirit plays where it's like has a has a has an un- definable kind of trait to it where it like energizes you and kind of demoralizes the other team at the same time, you know? Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I think that's like a, the, the right take when it comes to that. I just didn't think that it was like, people were like, I think lamenting the fact that it didn't win goal of the week. And I think just the fact that you had the Espinosa like 40 yard goal was a, was a big part of that, but also it was, it was like, no, he was standing there with nobody around him. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Listen, it was good for digital marketing of the union. They need some more clips to get on Twitter and, and, and social media channels. So it was it was good. So he helped them out, get some content this week. The third goal, uh, the Leon Flock, like, dagger. That's what we've been asking for him, like, for for game after game after game after game now. Just that little, like, hey, I'm going to hit the inside channel, like that underlapping, like, near post short run, play the ball across for Carranza for a second goal. That was one of Flock's best offensive plays that he's had since he's been here. Uh, the fourth goal, Bedoya, again, on the near post – opponents just not not taking that seriously not scouting it or not scouting it properly or not you know bodying up on him i I don't know how i try to like look at the other side of it i'm like well you and i watch the union every single game so we know this okay but do other teams not have departments who are looking at union film and seeing like danger number one on set pieces is bedoya it's not 1996. They they should have video on this. I figure, but then again, DC is in, in flux. Secret. You know, yeah. DC's in flux. Where who's the manager now? They finally have. Well, they don't yeah. have a manager yet because he doesn't have a green card. Yeah. So hopefully, the union will send our lawyer to help him not get his green card, and you know everything will be good. 
Um, <clears throat> goal number five, uh, or just good transitional movement, you know, good floating off to his left, keep running, let the ball find you. And, uh, Pines, I think it was just flapped at it and got it all wrong and fell down on his butt. But again, good calm touch and good finish. Uh, goal number six, uh, Harry winning a loose ball, another, you know, recycle slash hustle family type of play there, you know, ball bounces, he collects it, puts it back in, you get a deflection and then, or, you know, volleys it through the goalkeeper's legs from two yards out. But again, first person to the ball, 50-50, stuff up in the air. We're going to be there first. And then the seventh one was funny to me because Carranza had that, was on the hat trick with the penalty, misses the penalty, but then he gets it on the beautiful left left foot curling shot. So it makes the, the hat trick look look much better. You know, It reminds me a little bit of like, I think CJ got the last hat trick. Or he had one against Red Bull where it was like a penalty and there was like a header that he had from like one yard out. But you know, I'm not going to like be, be begrudge anybody for scoring three goals in a game, but some hat, not all hat tricks are, are made the same, you know? Yeah. No, not, not everyone's, uh, not everyone is deserving of you throwing your hat onto the field. Some are yeah. like, oh, you got a penalty and granted, you yeah. know, it, it still takes some, some nerve to, to hit a penalty, but we all know a penalty should go in. But two penalties and a tap in is not the same, you know, yeah. uh, hat trick as Carranza with a bike with a beautiful left footed curler. And then that great, you know, slashing like near post run with his to put it on his left foot and kind of hit it far post. I mean, it was it was all three of those goals were really really nice, you know. So I mean, if, I give him a lot, I give him a ton of credit for that. You know, if Carranza played DC every week, he'd be worth all every bit of that six million dollars Miami paid for him. Segues perfectly into the uh, next topic, which is the a couple of uh, transactions that happened. You know, it's funny because I'm like, man, I got to do a podcast. I haven't done one in a little bit. And then, like, this item happens. This item happens. Sergio, Stuart Finley, Ernst talking about Gareth Bale and Chiellini. Yeah, but Carranza was the biggest one, obviously. And I, I think it goes hand in hand with the Sergio thing because, <clears throat> look, I mean, basically what happened here was Ernst Tanner took a, his third striker or fourth striker, depending on how you look at Burke on the depth chart. Sergio Santos got nearly a million dollars for him. A guy who was a bench guy who was mostly injured, or not mostly, but oft injured, used that money to turn him to to outright purchase your number two striker, maybe your number one striker, depending on how you look at Ua right now, and make that purchase permanent. It looks like just another brilliant masterstroke from Ernst Tanner, you know? Yeah, even him picking up Carranza, because, you know, back when I was president, I had some access to Ernst, and I knew he liked Carranza way back when he was 19, but yeah. there was no way he was spending $6 million on him or the team wasn't going to spend $6 million for him. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a great stroke for him to get him, knowing that Miami was a dumpster fire with their roster and their um, playing fast and loose with the uh, Tam Gam and Garber Bucks rules. Mm-hmm. So and not picking him up. And I think that was the only question they had was, was this kid kind of diva like coming into Miami yeah. or did he just need a, a a new scenery? And you watch him, and he works. He works on both sides of the ball, yeah. which you rarely see in forwards. You know, usually a forward sees the fifty yard line and stops like it's red light, green light, yeah, like it's screw they are, or something. Yeah, they are lazy motherfuckers. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. But he, yeah. he works. Yeah. So I I think it was a great pickup, and you know, it was basically we got him for free money for using Sergio. Well, we said at the time, too, it's like low risk, high reward. You know, I mean, worst case scenario, just let the loan expire and it didn't work out. I mean, best case scenario, you knew that that purchase price wasn't going to be anywhere close to what Miami paid for him. So even if you paid more than what you did, I mean, you were still getting a discount on it, you know. So, I mean, that was like just a perfect 
you know, move. I mean, like Ernst, Ernst barely misses with this, that, with that kind of stuff, you know, I mean, at the time, I don't think people were super excited about it, but that had preceded the Ua move where they did spend money. So it made it even more palatable when you combine those two things and say, Hey, we're going to do, we're going to make a splash, but then we're going to supplement that with a low risk, you know, high reward kind of buy low thing, you know, make a loan move here. And I, I, I mean, he got it like absolutely perfect, you know. So I, I give him a ton of credit for that. Um, I mean, there's the, not a lot the Sergio, of stuff. The Sergio thing, real quick, I was going to say, it kind of goes like it, it follows the mold of like the Shabilko and the Montero stuff, where the Sergio is on an expiring contract anyway. And so to be able to get this allocation money for these guys who probably aren't going to be here anyway or who are approaching age 30, I mean, I mean, he's, he's flipping exactly how you have to flip. Yeah. And I love, I love Sergio Santos. I can't think of the last time he played 90 minutes. No, no. I just think I think the thing that they need to that that he brings that they may miss is just that game changing like direct over the top pace, you know, ability because while there wasn't a ton of end product with, with Sergio, I mean like he would draw some fouls, he would allow you to stretch the field. You know, he would allow the rest of the team to get forward. It's just you know, ironically, like he goes out and plays his first Cincinnati game and he's injured. You know, so I mean, I, I I hope he's not. You know, I'm not trying to make light of that or whatever, but again, it just kind of points again to the right move for the union to move on from that and just reallocate the money into Carranza and uh, go somewhere else for fourth striker. And they did that with Chris Donovan. So you know, there you go. I mean, that's 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 Philadelphia Union team building 101 right there. The other half of it was uh, Stuart Finley leaving. Which is funny, man, because he's probably going to start again on Saturday and make his second consecutive start. So they final by the time they finally rely on him, and one of the center backs is injured, you are now moving. <laughs> moving yeah. So and, and, yeah. and even the Eastern Conference final against New York City, he did a really good job. Yeah. He's just yeah. stuck behind two studs, two pillars. So you know, as as much as I hate to see him go, because you love having that backup, you also yeah. know for somebody like that, come on, let the guy. You know, get some playing time you and see what play. he can do. Yeah, you got to play, man. I mean, it's like it's it, you know what it is. It's like a. I think of it, I'll do another cross sport comparison because we always like doing those on the program. Um, I think I like a, like a Andre Dillard almost, you know, and like yeah, he was a first round draft pick. There's not really like the the same comparison there, but I don't think anybody's calling him a bust necessarily because like he played pretty well when he was in it's just that they got a guy in Jordan Maialata who you're not replacing right so to me I don't look at Stuart Finley and say like oh he wasn't a good signing or he's not a good player or whatever he's just stuck behind two guys who could probably both be all-stars and probably the reason that one of Elliot and Glessis are not all-stars is because they're both damn good and then you find yourself in the conundrum of like how do I vote for one over the other I, you know I can't because they're kind of like of uh, you can't separate those two, you know? So I don't, I, I, I wouldn't even call, if you're looking back at this in history and you're going through, like somebody does a list of like Ernst Tanner signings and we're saying, Hey, hit, miss, hit, miss or whatever. For Stuart Finley, I would put like an N slash a on the end of it, you know, like not applicable. Cause it wasn't, it, it, he didn't, he didn't fail. It's just that the other two guys ahead of him were that good. Oh yeah, exactly. And, and, and when he did play, he's played well. It's yeah. not like when he's played, you're like, "Oh crap, this guy sucks." That's why, like, you, you don't have you don't have a lot a big book on him. But when he's played, you're like, "Oh, this guy's solid." Yeah, so, I don't I, think he was he wasn't making you know he he wasn't making like defensive mistakes. He didn't look like a liability out there. I think that Gusty no. and Elliot are both better on the ball for sure. I mean, Finley has had some moments where he reminds me kind of like a almost like a like a like a Warren Craval a little bit where he just looks awkward on the ball, even if he picks out the right pass or makes the right pass or puts it right on some guys foot you know he he just looks a little less comfortable 
in in distribution than the other the other two center backs do. But again, I don't know if that's in, indicative of Stuart Finley being a poor passer. It's just the other two guys are that good. You know, I, so I think it's more B than A. But but maybe him and Leon Flock practice together, and that's the the problem. You know, maybe they're doing ball control drills together. <laughs> they're both and, on the left side. Yeah, to separate those two guys. Yeah, I only had one other thing on the set list before we get into the Sons of Ben stuff. But uh, you know, Ernst came out and he was he said he was mis or he didn't say he was misquoted, but he misled. said misled. His 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 comments about uh, Gareth Bale and Giorgio Chiellini were kind of like misrepresented. I believe was the word that they ended up going with because I should if I did any prep here, I would have this in front of my face. But he basically said uh, like, you know, I find it hard to believe that. You know, they both come in as TAM level players, you know, Gareth Bale and Giorgio Chiellini or whatever, you know. But I, I, my original interpretation was some people interpreted that to say that, like, he was suggesting that LAFC was cheating or something. But that was not my interpretation at all. I think he was just saying, like, hey, it just seems like, you know, the, the quality of these players is so good that it's almost like inconceivable that they would come over here and take this amount of money. But I don't think he was alleging that they were like cheating or giving them extra money on the side or that they were like, violating MLS rules or anything like that. And he clarified it to say that that's what it was. Yeah. I mean, put this, and I'll go simple terms. I was thinking about this when I knew it was coming on. If Mark Vetri, world-class chef, all of a sudden decided that he wanted to cook cheesesteaks at the Sunoco across from Subaru Park, you would sit there and go, either he's lost his mind or there's something shady going on. (laughs) So why would Gareth Bale, where there is money in Europe that he could get, is coming for Tam in L.A.? You know he's going to spend that million dollar salary on his yeah. on his tea times in L.A. Yeah, so yeah there yeah, is yeah. a little confusion on how does this team always get these kind of guys. So I can see why Ernst said he was confused. You know, yeah, and, and, you know what? It's funny too because there, there, I would have, I would have, I think his comments would have blown up and been more of a headline. You know, three or four years ago, but we have seen those kind of players come over on TAM deals before. You know, like when yeah. the first guy, when the first couple guys came over, it's like, oh, this guy's not a DP. Oh. It's me just suggested that there was an allure to come come in and play in over here, you know. Um, I, so I, I, people, I, don't, I, don't, I don't begrudge those people for that. It's not, it's not like to me, it's like you know, uh, Bobby Marks coming out and saying the Sixers should be investigated because James Harden decided to take 15 million less, you know, this year. Like, like what you know, maybe he wanted to do that, you know. You can't make assumptions on what, what people are thinking when it comes to that, you know. No, exactly. And, and I mean, it's it's just, um, I, I see Ernst, I, I think everybody's still got the Miami stink on them. So when you see things like guys going for, you know, $1 million time, you're like, oh, is this like a weird Beckham kind of deal type thing? So yeah, I think that's why yeah. everybody's a little suspicious. And people read into what Ernst was saying yeah. and ran with it and took it further than what he was actually saying. It was a translation too, you know, I mean, words don't always mean the same exact things is, is how, how we translate. Some words don't have uh, – you know, the same exact meaning the way we use it over here. So I don't speak German. I don't know what the hell the original thing was, but I didn't look at it and think that there was anything problematic with it. I didn't think that Ernst was accusing anybody of doing anything. So, so that was my take. Um, all right, well, let's talk about the SOB stuff. I'll just, I'll, I'll give you like the cliff notes version. You can kind of fill it in and add some color to it as you go. But so let me, if I got a timeline straight here, um, go back to the Supreme court overturns uh, Roe versus Wade. The issue of abortion rights goes back to the states. Um, I could sense on Twitter there was some like just random tweets. I had to go on and say like, what is this like arguing about, right? Because I sense that some people were like, hey, 
are we doing a statement? Are we not doing a statement? Is something going to come out? Is something not going to come out? So my understanding was that some people were upset because they were looking for the sons of Ben to put out a statement about that. Um, That statement eventually came. Um, I thought it was, I actually thought it was a pretty good statement to be quite honest. Like, Hey, we're, (laughs) we're, uh, we don't believe in just saying shit. I'm paraphrasing here, but we don't believe in just saying shit to say shit. We're going to put our, you know, actions where our mouth is. And we're going to do a donation to, whatever that organization was. I'm sorry. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, but that statement came out. Then I guess you guys did the podcast. Um, you expressed your dissatisfaction with people who were asking you to do this statement, told a couple of them to fuck off. Didn't name yep. anybody specifically, but you were talking about a select group of people who were needling you frequently to get this thing up. Then you put out a follow-up statement to that. The Sons of Ben did a statement following up that statement, and then you resigned. Do I have all of that correct? Well, I resigned after my statement before the Sons of Ben put out the other statement. That's okay, so when you put when you put your your statement out, that was that was coupled with the when you put that out, you were knew that like a resignation was happening with that, or that I, was coupled I, was coupled with that. I was I was fifty fifty. Okay. Um. <clears throat> And, and to go through the timeline, so, you know, we were preparing for a big Pride Night event. We were doing TIFO. We had the tailgates. And then it's really four or five guys were harassing, saying a lot of stuff about the board, about me, about, oh, you don't do political statements. If if you're silent, you're compliant, all this kind of rhetoric. It, to the fact that, and this is what set me off, is one of these clowns got blocked by one of our board members' girlfriends because he was mansplaining a women's health issue. Okay. So that's when I just was losing it because we were working on it, but I was like, guys, we're a volunteer organization. Give us time. You know, we're not a fortune 500 company with a PR agency. It's 10 people trying to make this thing go. And I put 20 to 30 hours a week, depending on the week as a volunteer doing this. So that was my frustration was these five people with their rhetoric of, if you don't do anything, you're complicit. Mm -hmm. And we're a soccer supporters group. We also have people on both sides of the fence and, you know, you have to be mindful of everybody's feelings because a lot of people just want the sons of Ben or the union or the Sixers to be their release from the everyday world. Mm-hmm. And that's where we were always at. So I said what I said on the pod and people got mad about my statement because they said I didn't apologize. And I go, I didn't apologize because I'm not sorry for telling those four or five people to F off because they were being unrealistic and they were harassing people. And one guy on there, I never harassed anybody. I may have insulted. I may have bugged. And I'm like, well, that's harassment, but that's here or there, you know, but Mm -hmm. I think the, the big outrage about my statement on the pod. And then even just me saying, let me clarify what's going on was a lot of people on Twitter didn't hear the pod. They were just looking at Twitter and they were making personal assumptions of my beliefs. Mm-hmm. They were making assumptions of what my personal beliefs are, where I have never said any, what my personal beliefs. And I think everybody would be shocked to know that what they're thinking of me is completely opposite. You're talking about your personal, like social, political. Yeah. They, they, they were assuming that, you know, I dye myself orange and wear a red hat and storm the Capitol or something, which is right, right. so far from it. 
you know, so that's where everybody's outrage was. Um, and when I tried to clarify it, it wasn't getting clarified. You know, I've, I've said this for years, you know, when I took over president, if the good outweighs the bad and I'm still having fun, I'll keep doing this and give you a time frame. I was elected to the board in 2014. I've been pres- I was president for five years. Mm-hmm. The group's 15 years old. I'm president number six. So yeah. do the math. I outlasted everybody by double <laughs> pretty much. So yeah. it just yeah. came to a boiling point where, you know, I, I, I was just done with it. I didn't want to deal with, you know, the Twitter backlash and, and everything. And it was just, you know, it just, it was exhausting and it doesn't need to be exhausting, but it was. Well, let me ask you that. I mean, with the benefit of hindsight now, it's been a few weeks since all this happened. Do you um, re- regret telling people to fuck off or do you think it could have been handled differently? Like, could you guys have just gotten on the phone or got on a call or something and said like, yeah, let's just, let's just, you know, work it out and smooth it, this thing over. Here's the funny thing is most of those people that were criticizing me and, and some of those guys that were harassing earlier all have my email, have access to me on Facebook Messenger, have my cell phone. Hmm. Nobody's ever reached out. N- nobody. They just did it all on Twitter and just comments and that's it. So that's where my frustration was. I'm like, you know me. You know the board members. If you have a th- And most people were thoughtful about it, and that's why we had the meeting to make the statement. Mm-hmm. So my comments were to those you know, four or five people that were just – being unreasonable with demands of a volunteer organization. So no, I don't regret it because if I could see them in face to face, I would have told them face to face, but you never see these people face to face. You know, it's interesting because I remember I did that, um, that big oral history on the sons of Ben back in uh, 2016, I want to say it was. So this preceded, this was before you were president. I think Bill was president at the time. And people noted that in, you know, I guess it was in twenty. Whenever Ansbro came in, you know, there were some things with the 501C that had to be worked out, and that yeah. was all kind of taken care of and organized, and, and all legally everything was brought up to speed, right? Um, but I guess the, the question I have for you is, like, was there ever any um, anything written into, like, a mission statement or any, like, universally agreed upon thing that, like, hey, this is – like, we're going to do uh, social and political statements, or we're going to do TIFO that uh, talk that touches on – social political things. I guess, I guess the question is like, when did all of that start? And is that like technically a part of any kind of like sons of Ben, you know, like, like mission statement or whatever. And I, I didn't get a chance to find the original mission statement, but the mission statement as passed on to me has always been support the team on the field, you know, the players um, grow the game of soccer in the Delaware Valley. And, you know, help out the city of Chester, meaning do some charity work. That's why they became a 501c3, help out the Bernadine Center, Chester Fire Department, etc. And the statements that we've ever made were usually any kind of political statement, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that, was usually because a player asked. So with Alejandro Bedoya and the gun yeah. uh, violence. Gun, gun control now. Gun control. Yeah. We had TIFOs for when um, Warren and Ray were part of the uh, Black Players Coalition. Yeah, we asked 20, them what they wanted us to do. And, yeah. you know, so we followed their lead because we wanted to support the, the players on the field. So that, right. that, that goes, that goes a lot. Right. Cause then you could make that, that connection there with saying, if our original mission statement of the goal of Sons of Dome is to support the players and support the team by extension, if they believe in this issue or that issue, that makes a lot of sense to, uh, uh, you know, 
yeah, by, by extension that we would, we would, you know, continue with that or help with that. Yeah. Yeah. And if the team, the front office asks us to do something, we're like, no, you know, maybe we would participate in a charity drive with them or something, but it was always on if the players felt strongly about a social issue, then we would say something. We would use our voice, use the TIFO, you know, make an action in the stadium. So yeah, that, yeah. that's that's the extent of it. And now it looks like they're going to have to really, you know, the current board and future board's going to really have to look at what they want to do. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of where I left my uh, the column that I wrote about it last week or the week before. I guess it was last week. I can't remember. Last week, yep. Yeah, I'm like fried. <clears throat> but, you know, mine was like more of a neutral approach because uh, – First of all, I'm not a SOB. Like, um, I'm not a member of the group. I know a lot of people in the group. They listen and support this podcast, and I thank them for that for sure. But I don't think it's like my place to tell anybody what to do or what not to do. My suggestion, kind of at the end, was like, "Hey, maybe you just redo a mission statement." You know, if you have a large enough percentage of people who believe that uh, we're going to take this beyond just supporting the team on the field, and we're going to speak up for Roe versus Wade, or we're going to speak up for gun control, or um, you know whatever other movement, then we can do that. Maybe you write that into a new charter or something like that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and like say one thing is right or one thing is wrong because I don't think one thing is right or one thing is wrong necessarily. I, and I, what I, what I would say to sit, to support that is like, you know, when Brian and those guys started the group back in the day, they, there wasn't any of that, you know, I mean, it was dudes sitting around who wanted to bring a soccer team here. And that was kind of the goal and the mission statement and what they did at the time if more people come in, if some people leave the group, other people come into the group who have a different idea of what the Sons of Ben should be or what it should mean, then by all means, I mean, go for it and, and do that. I just think it would, it would, it would behoof them to, you know, declare that or make that, you know, clear in a statement or something or say, hey, this is like, like actually like what we stand for. And we're going to like put it on paper and we're going to put it on the website or whatever. So there's no ambiguity here. There's no confusion about, hey, are we doing this? Are we doing that? Because like, you, you know, my thoughts on this whole thing, Matt, it's like when they, when they did, you know, in like the iron front, I guess was like a big thing a couple of years ago, the three arrows or whatever it was, you know, I mean, my whole take like from an independent perspective was like, Hey, if you, if you want to do, you know, a, a TIFO for that, or if you want to do a TIFO for this, like that's all good and well, but I think then you open the door, right. To maybe a slippery slope of like, Hey, we did a thing for gun control and we did the pride night TIFO. So, does that mean that now we're, we're locked into having to do Roe versus Wade or something? You know, it's kind of like if, you, if you're going to be all in, you got to be all in. And, if, and you're, if you're not, then what's the point, you know? And the one argument I've always had is we've always preached inclusion in the Sons of Ben. And that, that goes pretty much all spectrums, whether you're conservative, liberal, you know, black, white, Asian, you know, uh, LBGQ, you're supposed to feel welcome in the River End as a member of the sons of Ben. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to think about, okay, which do we want to start making statements? And if we do know that you might alienate members and they might go off and do something else. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that I think they now will want to think about and, yeah. and, and pull the membership because I think they will be surprised on, you know, that this, this group is probably 50, 50 split. People don't believe yeah. that, but I've gotten a lot of messages from both sides. Well, it's fascinating, too, because I was reading, yeah, somebody did a thread where they were like, yo, Matt was like, people are calling Matt like a MAGA and all this stuff. And it's it's just funny to me because I think like people like I get some like comments like that every so often. So I couldn't be any more of a disgruntled independent. Right. So yeah. I'm like square, <laughs> squarely in the middle. You know what I mean? But I, I've said this since I've been like a million times, like 
man, I, I, I more power to you for whatever you want to do. I just think it would make a lot of sense for them to kind of just, you know, again, say, Hey, you know, we're going to kind of re recalibrate here and kind of like reset and like define what we are and what we do and what we stand for. And like, honestly, man, I'll, I'll throw this to you as a question. I'll give you a statement. I'll throw it to you as a question, but like, I think the end game here is more, Keystone State Ultras kind of stuff where it's like maybe the river end is multiple groups, you know, or maybe it looks more like maybe instead of like two like or three main factions here, maybe people split off into different groups. It looks more like a Nashville or something like that. We have this whole section, but you know, maybe some people want to do political and social signage and maybe some people don't. And, and, you know, maybe there's a little bit of splintering from there, but if that's the result of them just kind of defining what they want to be and what they want to do, then that seems natural to me. It, it could happen that way. Um, me selfishly, I hope it doesn't happen that way because I've seen other groups, other teams like that, and their supporter section is a complete mess. Then you've got these groups that believe in one thing and the other thing fighting over drum time, and it ruins <laughs> the whole atmosphere. Like Atlanta's a mess. People yeah. don't realize it. Atlanta, like they have to have time sections for their group to get on the main stage, oh, and really? they fight over time, oh, and man. it's it's it's. <laughs> yeah, it it could happen that there's other more groups coming out. Yeah, but I don't know if that's good for the spirit and the atmosphere that is the River End. And let's face it, for many years, for the Philadelphia Union, the atmosphere in the River End was the biggest selling point. Mm-hmm. Now, since Ernst came on board and straightened the ship, you know, it's the it's what's on the field is more important. But for the longest time, it was the atmosphere from the River End. And yeah. if you get to like fifteen different groups. I, I don't know what's what it's going to be like that experience. That's true. I think it's funny too because it's I, I sense it. You would know better than I do, but I sense even like for like internally in the Sons of Ben, I was like, hey, are we doing this chant or like should we come up with something new or like when are we doing this or whatever? So all right, if you're in one group and you're kind of like trying to figure it all out, then what does it mean if you got like five people and some dudes banging the drum and another guy wants to get on the megaphone or whatever? You know, it's like and one guy's blowing a trumpet and oh yeah, <laughs> it, it could be complete chaos. So yeah, the grit, gritty's in there like yelling into a, a microphone or something. You know, yeah, I never really thought like that you know yeah i guess i you know if there's fracturing or splintering or whatever you know it, it's you know to each their own and then they feel like they're more part of whatever individual group comes out of it but yeah i mean for purposes of like uh coordination or whatever i guess that's difficult you know you guys are the only ones in philly who could who could actually do anything in unison aside from like when the eagles score a touchdown you know and everybody knows uh fly eagles fly but other than that like the sixers fans can't even get the ref you suck thing going in unison you know so well philly's fans get the eagles chant going pretty well well, it, it always comes back to the Eagles thing, doesn't it? I mean, that's always what it is. So, yeah. um, what you, so what are you going to do with your free time? Man, I, I don't know, but it is 20 to 30 hours a week that I'm just looking forward to. I was on a long road trip, so I didn't really, really get that to... Much? That you guys put, you put 20 or 30 hours in that? Yeah. I mean, you think about it. Throughout the, the week, I'm sending emails, correspondence, talking to sponsors, trying to get things going. And then when it comes time for tailgates, you know, Devin's running around, but I, it was on me to grab all of the beer. So I'm at yards flying fish yeah. uh, to SP, you know, that's hours and, and miles on the car. And it's little things like someone's like, Hey, can you go down the trailer? Cause Bross needs this or, you know, yeah. whatever. So, Oh yeah, I, I can definitely log 20 to 30 hours depending on if it was a game week or not. And then there yeah. was the pod, you know, you're, you're prepping for a pod. Yeah. You're, you're minimum. You're doing an hour prep time and then you're doing, an hour to two hours actually doing the pod. So, oh yeah, I definitely was doing 20 to 30 hours a week. I don't know how I got it done. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot, man. Well, listen, I um well, actually before I wrap it up, I would throw it to you one more time to see if there's anything on this topic that I missed or uh that you feel is necessary to bring up. You know, the only thing I'm hoping we learned out of this was that if you're getting your news from Twitter comments, you might want to dig a little deeper because I know that podcast only had about 200 some listeners and the amount of comments from Twitter doesn't equal the amount of listeners we had. So a lot of people didn't listen to it, but they were reacting off of comments and making assumptions. So I'm hoping everybody just goes, you know what? If I'm going to make a comment on Twitter, I'm going to hold myself accountable. I'm going to do a little research first beforehand. That's the only thing I hope happens. And then I hope the group continues and does well. And I wish the board good luck. And, you know, this, this should still be a fantastic season. And I hope this is just a blip on the radar for, you know, a 2022 season that hopefully gets us to the MLS Cup. Well, there you go. Hey, man, at least you got to be president during, like, one of the most exciting times for the team. You know, the team was good and things were rolling again, you know. I remember talking to some people back in the day, like, man, this team sucks. Like, the you know, the river end was, like, empty and stuff like that. So, you got you guys had a, had a good thing going. It was, like, definitely rocking there for the last two, three years or whatever, you know. So uh, Yeah, I mean, we, 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 we got through COVID. We got through a global pandemic. You know, yeah. there's a lot of things to be proud about yeah. what we've done at this point. And, you know, you just hope this thing keeps going. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, um, a lot of awesome people in Sons of Ben. I hope everybody, you know, figures it out and comes up with something that just works works for them and makes them feel like they're part of something that they want to be part of, you know, and everybody is, uh, you know, aligned with something they want to be aligned with. And it's all good. You know, people yeah. figure it out. And, 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 and just, you know. just remember, like, sports is supposed to unify us. You know, like, I, we were talking, I travel a yeah. lot. True. One of the best things I ever see is when you're in an airport in, say, San Diego, and you see somebody with an Eagles shirt, you're like, go birds. And I'm like, go birds. You know, yeah, yeah. And you, you have that commonality, and that's what sports does. So I'm hoping everybody takes a step back, a deep breath, and realizes that no matter what, we all love this team. We want to see them do well. And for 90 minutes, no matter you know what our opinions are and how we feel about each other personally, yeah. we can agree on one thing, and you know we're supporting the team. Well, I appreciate the time, man. It's always good to talk to you, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you around. Yeah, maybe you get maybe I uh, maybe hook Man, you I'm, up I'm applying for the guest host job on uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia. Well, may, yeah, maybe for sure. I I actually have been thinking about going with the co-host here, but I I'm probably between you and me. Well, between you and me, as I say this to everybody on the podcast, um, probably gonna go on just a temporary hiatus when the season's over, just because I'm like swamped with shit right now. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to just like. Oh yeah, you know now I gotta like find a guest and I gotta come up with a rundown. I was just I got so much shit coming on, so maybe maybe I look oh, yeah. at like bringing back a you know because I haven't had a co-host since Dave left. Dave left like five years ago or four years ago at this point. So so we'll you still seem sad about that. I do. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's, but we both, let, well, you know, it's funny too, is we both stopped doing the union at the same time. Um, originally, I was like, how am I going to keep doing this if I'm not going down there? But um, listenership has only increased, so I guess we're doing something good, you know? So, or maybe there's just, you know, not a lot of <laughs> outlets for, you know, Sons of Bad Pod, Always Sock, you know, Dupe, you know, all the various podcasts. I, I, and stuff. I, there's, not I, a, there's not a lot of reporters down there anymore, yeah. No, until Tyrone Johnson and the best show ever uh, decides to start covering the union, there really isn't much uh, mainstream. <laughs> media covering the union so it's up yeah. to you guys to do it that's actually a side topic maybe for the next podcast because it's funny the union are better than they've ever been and the press box is half and is less uh full you know than it was when i was down there when the team was, was shitty so maybe it just uh for the hobby type people who are doing it on the side who are making a lot of money or any money at all maybe that just kind of 
wore off, you know, but maybe I'll, I'll dive into that on a, on another show or something. But uh, yeah, man, in the meantime, I'll, uh, I'll uh, have to see you when I see you. And thanks for coming on. We'll, uh, we got Philadelphia Union versus uh, New England uh, tomorrow, Saturday. This is Friday. And uh, yeah, we'll get this thing uh, wrapped up and uploaded so you guys can listen to it on your uh, shitty commute home or uh, when you're mowing the lawn or doing whatever you're doing tonight. So it's always soccer in Philadelphia. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, we appreciate it. And we'll see you next time.